Good morning, friends. Today, we're going to learn together about the spiritual discipline of service. We have a guest with us who's going to teach us, and he's going to show us how and why followers of Jesus serve, and he's going to give us all an opportunity to put this spiritual discipline into practice immediately by making a decision in obedience to Jesus to serve God by caring for the most needy. Now, before I invite him up, I'm going to set the stage by sharing one big idea. All of the spiritual disciplines that we've been learning about are valuable to the degree that they enable us to serve God. They are useful when they open us up to receive the gospel so that we can live out of that gospel by serving others in the world. Here's why I say this. God saved us so that we will serve him. That is why Christ died and rose for you. This idea It emerges in many places in the New Testament, but listen with me to one place where it's put very clearly. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. And if you have your own Bible, this is one of those verses you should underline. Paul writes this, Jesus died for all so that those who live might live no longer for themselves. The person who lives for himself is the person who puts himself at the center so that his basic instinct in life is to get or to acquire or to receive things for himself. His default setting with him there at the center in every relationship is to be served by others. Here, we learn that Jesus died for us so that we would not live like that anymore. God became a human being in Jesus and lived a genuine human life and then allowed himself to be accused wrongly and crucified between two criminals, all in order to free you from a life where you put yourself at the center. Would you think about that for a moment? That is why Jesus died for you, so that you would not live for yourself any longer. And then Paul goes on to say, but, look at what he writes, but for him who died and was raised for you. Jesus died and was raised for you so that you would live for him. That's why he went to the cross. And that is why he conquered death so that you would not live for yourself, but for him instead. The person who lives for Jesus is the person who puts Jesus at the center of her life. And when you do that, your basic instincts change. You are now looking for ways to give, to share, to divest yourself for others. Your default setting in every relationship is no longer to be served, but to serve instead. And that's because Jesus' basic 
default setting was to serve others. As he put it, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And that means anyone who wants to follow him, anyone who wants to walk on the path that he walked, has to have the same setting. And that is why we're studying these spiritual disciplines. And that is why we can say, from a theological standpoint and also a pragmatic standpoint, that the most foundational spiritual discipline is the discipline of service. That's why Jesus died and was raised for you, so you would serve. Now, if this is true, it means the most spiritual question that you can ask is who is God calling me to serve? Don't let that be an abstract thought for a moment. Who is God calling you to serve? The friend that we're going to learn from today is a man who has spent his time professionally encouraging and enabling people like us to serve God by creating opportunities to serve the most needy. That's another way of saying He's someone who helps people pursue the most important spiritual discipline, the discipline of service. He's going to direct our attention together to one passage where Jesus teaches the supreme importance of service, especially serving the most needy. And then he's going to give all of us an opportunity, a definite one, to respond immediately with a decision for service. My friend is Javi Diaz. And Javi, I'm going to invite you up and I'm going to ask you all to welcome Javi and encourage him. Thank you, Javi. My wife and I had been married for about five years and we had just had our very first baby boy. His name was Ezra Stone and he was about six months young and we had just moved into our first home. We both had incredible jobs Ezra was starting to crawl. And I mean, come on, he was just the absolute cutest. I mean, look at these photos of little baby Ezra Stone. And Sarah occasionally had to go in on the weekends and she had to work. And I got to be the proud dad who paraded my boy about town and to show off his amazing smile and his bright light brown eyes and just to show him off. I was that kind of proud dad. In fact, on one Saturday morning, I thought it would be sweet if Daddy and Ezra just had a little daddy sun time. And so I took Ezra to one of the coffee shops down the street from where Sarah and I had met in Wilmington, Delaware. And as I ordered my cup of coffee, I had Ezra in his little car seat. Everybody was ooing and eyeing over him. And I put down the car seat and I asked for the coffee. And she said, what do you want? And I said, don't worry about it. I'm going to fix it myself. And I said, don't even put the lid on it because I just got to pour the half and half and the sugar and all that stuff. And so... As they handed me the coffee, the coffee dropped to the floor. And the coffee, scalding hot coffee, came out of that cup and fell into Ezra's car seat. Now, before I knew it, Ezra was crying in pain. He was shrieking in pain. And I raced Ezra to the bathroom to strip him down, to put him in the sink, to rinse him down, to lower the temperature on his skin. And then I put him back in the car seat and I rushed him to the car. And as I turned the key over on that car, the car would not start. 
And so I ran back into the coffee shop. The manager was a friend. He tossed me his keys and I ran out to his car and I put Ezra in the back. Now, parents out there, you know what this is like because my car had a, had a base in the back seat. His didn't. And so I put Ezra in the back seat and on, with one hand, I held the car seat and with the other, I ran every single red light on the way to the hospital. And at the hospital, a number of people came in to see me. First, it was a nurse, and then it was another nurse, and then it was a psychologist, and then a social worker, and they all had one question. So tell us what happened. So tell us what happened. And they were just doing their job, right? As, as a person who works with children in the developing world, these are good questions to ask. But I knew that they were also checking to see if I would stick to my script. And every time I told that story, I relived every moment of that tragic accident and another piece of my heart broke. The idea that I would intentionally hurt Ezra absolutely wrecked me. And so the next two months would find Ezra, my six-month-old beautiful baby boy, in the hospital with third-degree burns on his leg, from his thigh down to his ankle, multiple surgeries and skin grafts fighting infection. But the reality was that my little baby boy was not the only one suffering. My wife would spend an inordinate amount of time with him in the hospital while she was still feeding him. And I would go home and be by myself in this house that was a dream house with the job that was a dream job, with the family that once was a dream. And during those two months, honestly, I had severe bouts with anxiety and depression and anger. And through this trying time, I was the most disconnected and isolated that I've ever been in my entire life. And all I wanted was for that pain to end. And I considered what life would be like for my family if I just wasn't around anymore. My wife and my son were in the hospital almost full time. I was alone. My house was completely empty and so was I. And if you're anything like me, you gotta start to ask the question, what good could ever come out of a painful and tragic moment like this? Now, I promise you that before we get out of here, you're not gonna think that I'm as crazy as you think I am. It's okay, you can laugh. The story does have a redemptive quality to it, and that's a piece of what I wanna talk about today. It's not the end of the story. Because through this pain and through this darkness, I came to learn a couple of things, and I wanna share some of those things with you. You see, over time, I had a community who did not run away from my pain. I had a wife who stood by me, who reminded me that it was an accident. I had parents who helped me dress the wounds of my little boy. I had a pastor who undoubtedly, like you all, calls simply out of the blue to check in and see how you're doing. And I had a church family who would not let me be alone, who reached out to me, who prayed with me, who prayed for me, who stepped into and spoke into my moment of pain. And I came to understand and embrace this one key statement, which we're gonna put up on the screen here. I came to embrace that hopelessness cannot be overcome without others voluntarily, intentionally, and repeatedly stepping and speaking into our pain. 
And when my community began to rally around me, began to serve me, I began to believe again. I began to believe once again that, friends, I am loved. I matter. And friends, if I am loved and I matter, then I want to let you know today that you are loved. You matter. We as a community of believers, as Christ followers, we are loved. We matter. And folks, I would have never believed that had others not stepped in, had others not spoken into my pain, had others not in some way, shape, or form tangibly served me and my family. You see, tragedy has a way of stripping us of a desire to be loved. And the pain that we experience perpetuates this false narrative that, that we are insignificant, that we are not even worth being loved. But when we are surrounded by community, when we are surrounded by the beloved community of Christ, of God, like a church, everything changes. When we are surrounded by people who aren't afraid to step in and speak up, who aren't afraid to show up for you, we can believe that we are worth being loved again. And friends, I know that I experienced God's perfect and healing love through the power of my community. And that community saved my life. It absolutely transformed my life. And so friends, I wanna let you know today that God is still in the redemption business. He redeems these painful and dark moments in our lives. And he's working through our pain and our brokenness to bring healing and wholeness and hope to communities, not just my life, but to communities around the world. God's redemption story not only unfolds in the stories of our biblical heroes, but it unfolds in the journey of our own brokenness. God is still in the redemption business. Here's a photo of Ezra today. He is a strong, sweet, handsome boy. If you look closely, you might even see some pizza stains on his chin. He loves pizza. And he is learning as I did that in this upside down kingdom that I'm gonna talk about a little bit today, hopelessness and pain may visit us, but it doesn't consume us. And it certainly doesn't define us. Now, if you go with me, I want to read through a portion of scripture today. I'll be reading out of Matthew 25. We're going to start in verses 31, and we're going to read through 40. And I just want to slowly marinate through this verse, because in this section of scripture, Jesus tells us one of the answers to the questions that we've been asking. How do we serve? How do we serve within this eternal upside down kingdom? And we're just going to read through this as a community today. So verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right. And he will place the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right side, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty 
and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visited you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it for one of these least of these, my brothers and sisters, you did it for me. Now, what I love about this passage in Matthew 25 is that it makes it very clear that among those who Jesus came to serve were the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the stranger, the prisoner. He came to serve the poor and the captive and the broken and the oppressed. And this goes against the kingdom of this world. This goes against the establishment that we live in. And this is why we call it the upside down kingdom. This is what it's about. So just think about it. In this kingdom, in the upside down version of this kingdom, we follow a king who washes our feet. We follow a teacher who uses examples of the good Samaritan and turning the other cheek. We, we follow a coach. Perhaps you're an athlete. We follow a coach who calls short people to slay giants and stutterers like Moses to be his spokespeople and farmers and fishers to be his prophets. We follow a CEO. Perhaps you're in the business place. We follow a CEO who chooses straight up failures and weirdos to be his senior executive management team. We follow a priest who elevates the worst of sinners as the pillars of morality, pointing to their humility and their repentance. We follow a ruler who preaches jubilee, a founder who built his church on the one who betrayed him the most, a father who gives strength to the weak and elevates the humble friends. We follow a shepherd who leaves the 99 for the one. This is who Jesus served and he bids us to follow him. He bids us to follow him in serving those that are poor and oppressed and broken, those who have the least in this world. And, and I think it's important to look at this text once again, but to more fully understand how to live as part of this upside down kingdom. And so today I wanna offer that this text in Matthew 25 points to two pillars of this upside down kingdom. The first pillar is that Jesus calls us to serve people experiencing extreme poverty and those who have far less than we do. And the second pillar is perhaps a question. And the question might sound something like this. How do I live as a citizen of that heavenly kingdom? How do I live as a citizen of that heavenly kingdom? And Matthew 25 gives us this answer. And this answer turns, I don't know about you, but it turns my world upside down. And I hope that it turns your world upside down because it defies worldly logic. He tells us exactly who will get into his kingdom and who will not. I mean, think about it. What earthly king would ever say something like Jesus just said? No king in history has said that the visual marker of entering or being part of their kingdom is serving those who have the least in the world. But that's what Jesus says. 
And this is what I would call the first marker of the upside down kingdom, that we are called to restore broken circumstances. As a citizen of heaven, as a citizen of this upside down kingdom, we are called to restore broken circumstances. The broken circumstances that surround people here locally in our nation and almost more importantly around the world, the most vulnerable people in the world to provide relief in some tangible way to their broken circumstance and to help them have hope. But if we're not careful, we, we, we could possibly gloss over the second pillar, the second visual marker of this upside down kingdom where Jesus calls the people that have the least in the world, the hungry, the thirsty, the homeless, the hurting, the prisoners, he calls them his brothers and his sisters. He calls them family. And in doing so, he affirms their inherent dignity. Affirm inherent dignity. I hope you can see how powerful this is because Jesus knows that we as humans, no matter how good our hearts, no matter how good we try to uphold these two pillars, we unknowingly protect the false narrative that if I have more, I am more. And if I have less, I am less. But in Matthew 25, Jesus destroys that lie, that safeguard, and he flips it upside down and he reminds us and he says, no, just because they have less doesn't mean they are less. They bear my image. They bear my identity. So while restoring their circumstance, don't forget to affirm their dignity. Whatever you did for one of the least of these my brothers and my sisters of mine, you did it for me. You see, when we serve others, especially those experiencing extreme poverty, I hope you can also see that as we step closer to serving those hungry, those thirsty, those poor, those broken and oppressed, as we step closer to them, we are stepping closer to Jesus himself. The incarnate Jesus who puts on this broken body for us. We step closer to Jesus when we serve those that are experiencing extreme poverty. And this is what it's all about. These are the two pillars of God's upside down kingdom to restore broken circumstances and affirm inherent dignity. And I don't know about you, but this is good news because I've been broken. <laughs> I've been hurt. And Jesus drew near to me and my community drew near to me as well. Now, can I just have a moment of honesty with you? If we're honest with ourselves, on our best days, we tend to do one over the other, right? We, we tend to uphold this idea of dignity. We, we say that we know that every child is made in the image and likeness of a God who loves them and sees them. But sometimes we don't do very much to restore their broken circumstance or perhaps the opposite. Sometimes we restore the broken circumstances surrounding these individuals, but we don't see the dignity that they're created in the image and likeness of God but we are called to boldly step into doing both to be equally restorers and affirmers to actually help restore the broken circumstances of individuals if only for one person or only one child. And don't you worry, I'm gonna take you there today because I want to tell you how you can do that for one life today. Now, I'll agree that it is incredibly difficult to do this. And I'm often tempted to think that 
I don't need to do my part today, that I don't need to step into the brokenness of someone else's life. Someone else will do it, right? And then I flash back to what my life was like about nine years ago. And I think about what if my wife and my community and my church and my pastor had said, you know what? I think I'll let someone else call Javi today. Perhaps that's you today. Perhaps you're waiting for a call today. So you see, friends, when we courageously say yes to being both restorers and affirmers, things start to change. We help build the kingdom of God and serve the lives of those who Jesus loves and sees. And transformation occurs. It'll occur in your life, it's occurring in my life, and it certainly is occurring in the lives of the children and the communities that we serve. And here's one quick story of just a story of transformation. You're gonna get to meet one of my sponsored, one of my four sponsored children, uh, Vincent, today. But about four years ago, I had the special opportunity to go to a little tiny community called Simbi, Rwanda. And Sarah, my amazing wife, and I, we were prayerfully considering adding another child. We had already sponsored one, and we wanted to add two more. And we thought, God, if you could just show us which one of these little children that I'm going to meet when I'm in Rwanda, who I can sponsor, that would just simply be amazing. You see, we, we already knew that for 39 bucks a month, you know, a little over a dollar a day, we could provide tangible resources to children living in extreme poverty. Things like clean water, sanitation, and hygiene. Let's hear it for our Team World Vision folks who run incessantly for clean water, right? Yes, I love it. We could also provide things like food and education and healthcare services and economic opportunity for entire communities, about 50,000 people living in a community. But what we experienced in Rwanda was insane and also super cute. I mean, check out this little guy. Here we have Vincent and his mom. And in this picture, you see a curious and healthy looking four-year-old. He looks a little sad, but he looks a little chunky too, doesn't he? And here we also see Seraphin, his mom, who doesn't look a year over 20, right? And Seraphin, Vincent's mom, greeted us in front of her mud plastered home. That little uh, wall that you see there is a is complete mud home. It was one bedroom. And we sat on the floor of her home. And we learned from Seraphin that year that she had been widowed on Christmas before joining this community in Simbi. Her husband had died of HIV, AIDS. And, uh, and her youngest at seven months, Jean-Claude, uh, was li likely also infected. And so Seraphin had moved into this community because she heard that World Vision was working there. And she sought help in one of the darkest moments of her life. She sought refuge as a single mother for her children. Could you imagine what that would take for a mother of three to leave a community that she knows and loves and move to a completely different place when she has HIV and likely her youngest child of seven months also has it? And so... She was looking for an opportunity to escape from the past which brought her pain and which brought her loss. And she was looking for hope, a lot like us. And so the cool part about this story is that over the years, I've gotten to see Seraphin, Jean-Claude, and Vincent find what they were looking for. I've gotten this, a, 
honestly, I've gotten a front row seat. I was in their home. Uh, I got a front row seat to see that an HIV diagnosis does not mean that your life is gone. It does not mean that your life is over. I've been able to see the faith of a woman like Seraphine, desiring the best for her children, made reality. I've been able to see a garden. They have a garden now where there was once only dry land. And I've been, I've been able to see that distended belly transform from mal- a malnutrition belly into a healthy, chubby boy belly. And I have no doubt, friends, that this family remembers their past. They're reminded of it every single day when they wake up. But it doesn't define who they are. And it doesn't change the beauty and dignity and strength that God sees and that he's helping me to see. Now, one of the reasons I love this story is because it reminds me that just as my community affirmed my inherent dignity, and restored my broken circumstance, this community, the community of Simbi, empowered through the work and ministry of World Vision, has come alongside Seraphine and Vincent and Jean-Claude and helped them embrace the reality that they are seen. They are loved. They are accepted. They are chosen. And it's not just Vincent's family and or a couple of families. Through sponsorship, this entire community is being transformed. There's a picture of Vincent today carrying a jerry can of water from a water point that's close to his home. He's healthy, he's thriving, he's missing a tooth, and he's cute as all get out. I love that little boy. And that is the power of community. Now, what do I do? What do I do next? I've been learning about service. I know that Jesus wants me to serve those living in extreme poverty. I know that that's how I demonstrate that I am a disciple of Jesus and that I have put him at the center of my life. What do I do next? And so before I tell you that, I'm gonna share a little bit more and then we're gonna play a video. So here's the thing. God calls us, we now know this, that God calls us to restore broken circumstances and to affirm inherent dignity. And today, Renaissance Church, Renaissance Family, we are inviting you to partner with our brothers and sisters in the community of Promesas del Sur. I love speaking in Spanish. Promises of the South. It's a relatively new area program. It's been online for about six months. And we are already starting starting to see transformation within that community. But each of us, every single one of us in this room and watching online has a small but massively important part to play in serving children and families who so desperately need our help. Today, church, I'm asking each and every single one of you to become a sponsor, to sponsor a child, to step up and say yes to sponsoring just one or maybe two or up to 10, to sponsoring a few children within this community where there are over a thousand children waiting to be sponsored by you who like my Vincent was waiting on a sponsor to restore their circumstances and affirm their God-given from the beginning inherent dignity. And for years, we've partnered with churches in, in similar fashion. And we've asked churches from all over the United States and now all over the world to, to connect to children living in communities and to, to help bring about the transformation that their communities need. And typically how I would tell you to do that is to go out into the lobby of the church, this beautiful church we have here, and you would see photos of children on little picture folders hanging up on a little clothesline, and you would go out and you would pick them. 
Can you see that? Just close your eyes for a second if you just entertain me. You would walk out into the lobby and you would see that strung up clothesline of photos of children waiting for you to choose them. But for the past year, God birthed an idea that turned our world upside down and that we are inviting each and every one of you into today. God led us to ask the question, what else could we do to affirm the inherent dignity of these beautiful image-bearing kids from the very first step of their relationship with you? What would it look like if for the very first time in history, we flipped this thing upside down and they instead were empowered to choose us? All right, open your eyes and we'll watch this video together. Renaissance Church, this Wednesday, there is going to be an amazing party thrown in Promises of the South, Honduras. And guess what? The guests of honor at this party will be the most vulnerable children in that region. This Wednesday, coming up, will be the Renaissance Church choosing party where we hope to see at least 100 of the most vulnerable children in that area, most of whom, by the way, have been waiting to become sponsored children for a very long time. But a party is not a party unless you have invited guests. And so instead of continuing to wait to be chosen, they instead are going to walk into a room where our pictures are displayed and then the smiles and power and hope of your faces will be there. And after that, they're going to decide, <laughs> they get to choose who they want to be their sponsor. I don't know about you, but that gets me excited. <laughs> and finally, they're gonna go into another little separate room and they're gonna write a letter to you and they're gonna explain to you why they chose you, why they picked you out of this lineup of beautiful people here at Renaissance Church and they are gonna get to meet you in their community through the power of an amazing photo that you're gonna take later on today. I mean, how empowering is that? Now, in the spirit of both connection and celebration, before the pandemic, we were planning on taking an amazing trip to Honduras. And Pastor Christian, you were gonna be there with us. I think Jim was gonna be there with us. We're gonna take a camera crew like you guys in the back. And we were gonna have an amazing experience there, but. We can't travel. COVID-19 has shut things down internationally quite a bit. But here's the thing. They can't wait for this party. They can't wait for this party to happen. They can't wait for us to show up. These kids need to choose us. And instead of hopping on a plane and going all the way to Honduras to be there for a choosing party, they're going to have the party without us. We still will get to experience it in some way, shape, or form, but it's going to look a little bit different. Now, Here's the thing. Uh, in a minute, Pastor Christian's going to come up and he's going to tell you a little bit about what he's feeling in his heart and about what he's thinking and about a call we had with our field staff in Honduras. But just know that that party this coming Wednesday is going to be filled with connectedness and celebration with each one of us. And so here's what we're going to do. Pastor Christian is going to come on up and uh, tell us about his time with our field staff in Honduras. And I want to tell you just very briefly about the way that you and I are going to stay connected throughout the next week. And again, in the spirit of connecting and celebrating, because we love a good party, amen? We love a good party. Together, 
during the choosing party this week, we have created a Renaissance Church Chosen Facebook group where you will be able to go and see everyone who has had their photos taken as part of the chosen experience and where you will be able to like and tag and thumb up and comment and get snarky if you want. But that will be the place where you can see who here at Renaissance Church has been chosen. The other thing that we can see on this Facebook group is that we believe that we should stay connected to our field staff. We believe that we should stay connected to the stories that are happening in countries like Honduras. So World Vision staff leaders and staff there are actually going to try to shoot some photos and videos, and we're going to try to upload those into the Facebook group so that you can see what is happening in Honduras as children take one more step to choose you instead. Now, with that, I want to turn it back over to Christian, but don't turn off your phones, okay? You're going to need those uh, because that is our next movement. But just allow me to say that Jesus is calling us to serve those in extreme poverty. That's who he's calling us to serve. And he's calling us to affirm their inherent dignity. And there's very little that we can do for the children of Honduras physically, but we have amazing field staff who can be the hands and feet of Jesus and bring tangible relief and community support to children like my Vincent. So May God bless you and keep you and smile upon you. And Pastor Christian, would you come back on up and share a little bit of your heart and your vision for what's next? I will. Thank you, Javi. Javi asked us to imagine what it would be like if we were in our church building and we went out into the lobby and saw photos of the children who live in Honduras who are waiting to be sponsored. Uh, I am imagining what it will be like on Wednesday in that village when the children who are in need are invited into their gathering space and they see our pictures. This picture is the picture that I chose to send in. Uh, it's a picture of me and Michelle and Nate and Lily uh, at the house where we lived. And the reason I chose to send that in, it's very simple. I believe that Jesus died for me so that I would use what I have to serve others. And for me, that means choosing to sponsor a child. That's one of the ways I do that, a, a way that I do it disciplined day after day with my family. We talked to Nate and Lily about it. Our, our kids, they, they have everything they need all the time. The thought that there are thousands of kids living in this world, hundreds of thousands who don't have what they need every day. For me, that thought, it makes me freeze. I can't, I can't do anything when I think about it on that scale. But when I, when I can see that for $39 a month, there is one child who will be able to choose us to be his or her family, that thought inspires me. That thought makes me feel really empowered. The, the problem on a global scale is too much for me to have anything to do with, but for one child, I can do that. And I believe because God chose to give himself for me, I should do that, and I will do that. I'm so excited to have chosen to do that. I want every single person who's a part of our church also to make that choice. I do. Uh, two weeks ago, I had a phone call with Nadia. She's the field staff person who works in the region, it's about an hour south of the city Choluteca in Honduras. She's been on staff for over 20 years. I asked her, what would you say if you were standing in Springfield before my congregation? 
You remember I asked her that? The first word out of her mouth, she said, I would say, give. And then she said, if you could only see the place where these kids are, you would understand how vitally important supporting children is. And if you could see the difference it makes, there's no way you would choose to do anything other than support a child. Tell the people that you speak to that. The mission of Renaissance Church, this is our mission. It is to build up disciples who invite and inspire others to love and serve Jesus together. Now that passage that Javi read from Matthew 25 tells us that Jesus is actually in the people who are needy. He identifies with them so much that if you give food to a hungry person, according to Jesus, you're giving food to him. And that means that if we want to love and serve Jesus together, which is our mission as a church, one way to do that is to sponsor children because we are literally feeding those who are hungry and bringing drink to those who are thirsty. We are literally achieving the mission that God has given us as a church. Today, we're having the opportunity. Javi's going to explain in just a moment how to do it. We're having the opportunity to make a decision to serve God by serving the needy. Uh, there will be on this Facebook page, there will be that picture of me and my family, and then the picture that every single one of us chooses to send in, other families, other individuals who choose to, to sponsor children. If you know me, you know that I never go on Facebook, ever. This this event is going to change that for me. I'm really excited to rejoice with each and every person in our church who chooses to also sponsor a child. And so I'm going to be on the lookout today and, and, and especially today and into this evening and then in this week ahead to rejoice and celebrate with everybody who makes that choice. And then next Sunday, when we learn together which child has chosen us, my family will celebrate when we discover the child that's chosen us. And all of you who have uh, decided to sign up will also be able to celebrate that. And we'll celebrate it together. And, and the discipline, the spiritual discipline we'll talk about next week, which is the discipline of the spirit, is, is the discipline of celebration. And we'll have a real way to do that together. Javi, would you come back and help us see exactly how to be chosen? Thanks so much, Pastor Christian. Um, you know, as you spoke, these words jump out at me every time I think about them. But the reality is that every single one of us wants to be chosen. Every single wants to know that deep down inside, we are seen and we matter. And so today, we get to put that kind of power to choose in the hands of a child. And it's an easy two-step process. Super simple. You're going to take out your phones. You're going to open your text messaging app. And in the number area, you're going to put in these numbers. 56170. 56170. In the message box, R-E-N. So you're going to text R-E-N to the number 56170. Does that make sense? Super simple. Now, when you put that in, we're going to send you a beautiful little photo and a link. And that link is going to take you to a webpage where you and the rest of the Renaissance Church family will be able to put in their personal uh, information, first name, last name, email, phone number, and you'll be able to upload your photo. And that's the photo that will be sent to the field for the choosing party on Wednesday. So all you need to do is text 
the number 56170, R-E-N, click on that link, put in your personal details, upload your photo, and your photo will be collected alongside those with us that are here in the room, and you'll be able to be chosen as well. Now, here's a cool thing. That photo will be held by the child that chooses you, and you will receive that photo next Sunday. So whatever you do, don't miss out on coming in-house to see who chose you, or keep an eye on your email if you're doing this digitally. Now, the other thing I will say is that if you're having any kind of technology trouble with the text messaging, reach out to someone who perhaps is 20 years younger than you, they can help you out. Or um, reach out to us, we're happy to help. There's a little uh, widget that we put on the Renaissance Church page to help you walk through those steps as well. So we want everyone to participate. If you're here in person, we want you to join us in the back and to see our amazing volunteers who are welcoming us and helping you walk through this. So whatever you do today, Take that photo, put your information in because this is who Jesus is calling us to serve. And I'm excited to be back next week and to see who all has chosen you, to see you and celebrate you and to just rejoice with Pastor uh, Christian as he finds out who has chosen his family. So with that, Pastor Christian, would you come back up and pray us out? I will, thanks very much. I forgot to mention what we're aiming at uh, and, and Javi asked me to do that and I wanna say it. Uh, there are 1,100, that's what Nadia said, a little more than 1,100 kids waiting for sponsorships down in their region. A hundred seemed right to me. Michelle and I, um, maybe we'll be the first from Renaissance. Let's add at least 99 more to that, okay? At least. And Javi, stay here with me while I close us in prayer. Um, let's join our hearts in prayer. God, we thank you for the good work that you've given Javi to do with World Vision. And we thank you for his humility uh, and vulnerability to share his story with us. We thank you for the church that cared for him and embodied your grace and service in his life. We thank you for the way that that helps illuminate the invitation that we all have, which is to be your servants in the lives of others who are in need. God, for every child who right now is in Honduras awaiting a sponsorship, we give you great thanks, and we praise you for enabling world vision to create an opportunity that allows them the dignity to choose who will be the ones who care for them. Move in our hearts now, every one of us, and help us see if you are calling us to be one of the folks from this church who chooses to sponsor a child. And then enable us to rejoice and celebrate in the gift it is to be one of your servants who has been freed by your grace to love others by serving in the world. We ask for this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you very much, Javi. Thank you.